We're in John chapter 4 this morning. Uh, In chapter 3, Jesus has explained to Nicodemus the way for eternal life. Nicodemus was the esteemed teacher of the law in Israel. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must experience a new spiritual birth. There has to be a lifestyle change, Nicodemus. And he's saying your Jewish heritage does not meet God's requirement for eternal life. And for the Jew, that was uh, a revelation. Verse 30 of chapter 3 declares, He who believes on the Son, Jesus, has everlasting life. But here we are this morning in chapter 4 of John. So, let's read the first four verses. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. It sort of grabs our attention that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. But we see that Jesus knew Jesus saw the confrontation that was coming between himself and the Pharisees, so off to Galilee he goes. But the time is not right for this confrontation. So Jesus, he leaves Judea, Jerusalem basically. And we find that Jesus now validates John the Baptist and his baptizing of people because Jesus now has his disciples also baptizing. But we notice that Jesus himself did not baptize. Um, Can you imagine the stigma that would have went around in the believers' circles? Well, I was baptized by Jesus himself. And then others would say, well, I went down to John in the wilderness and I was baptized by John who began this whole baptizing thing. But there's no conflict between John and Jesus and their ministries. John himself sets the record straight. John, he says, hey, I'm the bridegroom. Jesus is the groom. John's ministry is to be a herald, an announcer of Messiah. And John declared, he said, hey, look, I am not the Christ, because they asked John who he was. And John also said, he must increase, meaning Christ, and I must decrease. John knew the scope of his ministry He was a prophet, and uh, Jesus said of those born of women, none greater than John. But John, as we go on and we read in verse through, uh, verse 4 rather, uh, 
that Jesus now needs to go through Samaria. Because there's that one woman that he needs to minister to. Now the Jews and the Samaritans, they had a deep bias or dislike for one another. The Jews were really very prejudiced towards Gentiles, but they were extremely prejudiced towards Samaritans. And Samaritans have to happen to be one half Jew. So there was a real bias there against the Samaritans. The Samaritans, they had their own place of worship, their own temple, and they, their worship, they would mix in the Mosaic law along with some superstitions. Uh, just kind of like Mexico and South America. They mix Catholicism along with a little, what? of their own thinking, of their own superstitions, and you have a mixture of religion in South America and Mexico. But this dislike, this actual hatred for the Samaritans, it will manifest itself in this story as we go and read the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, verses 5 through 8. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Jesus is on his journey through Samaria. He's tired. He's weary. He's thirsty. And he comes to Sychar, the capital of Samaria. And he comes to where Jacob's well is. And it's about noon. It's the sixth hour. And Jesus, being fully man, fully human, wants a drink of water. And he sits there by the well. And when a woman of Samaria comes to draw water, it, she comes at an unusual time. You did not usually come at high noon to draw water. That was usually a morning or evening type thing. And she's all alone. She's by herself. Apparently, this woman is an outcast of Samaria but she probably does give Jesus a drink of water. We don't know for sure, but she most likely does. Verses 9 through 15. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus said to her, 
Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. This woman, she asked, How is it that you, a Jew, a Jewish man, would ask me, a Samaritan woman, to give you a drink? And she's saying, you know that Jews have nothing to do with Samaritan, so why are you even asking me for a drink? However, I think this woman is intrigued by the fact that Jesus, a Jewish man, is being friendly to her. That's a surprise to her. And Jesus is having a dialogue with her. And he's a hated Samaritan woman of no reputation. And our Lord is there speaking and conversing with her. And now this woman of Samaria, she's taken back by Jesus' friendliness. Back to her question, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink of water? And then Jesus turns that conversation to spiritual issues. If you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who I am who asked you for a drink, you would be asking me for living water. Jesus wants this woman to consider spiritual things, things about God. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I am and how I could give you living water, and Jesus is wanting her to think, to reason, to think spiritually. Same true of Jesus today. He wants you and I to think spiritually. As believers, he wants us to dev into the things of God. And this is a principle of Jesus. He will ask us questions that go beyond our secular reasoning, our secular thinking. Remember, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus comes out and says, how can this be? How can an old man enter again into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus not thinking spiritually at all. Jesus is turning this conversation with this woman to eternal matters. And Jesus wants you and I to think eternally. I was asked by a family member that's not a believer, why are you in the ministry? And I thought, that's a good question. <laughs> and I had to think on it for a moment. And I came up with this answer. I believe that I am to cause people to think 
eternally. Quit thinking about the right now and think eternally. Think everlasting. But anyway, Jesus wants us to think spiritually. As believers, he wants us to do that. Have you ever asked God, Lord, you're working in my life, but what are all these speed bumps about? What are all my trials and all these situations that I'm going through? What are they all about? I do not always get what I call an immediate answer for my whys to the Lord, but I keep asking, what are you doing, Lord? What's going on? I've even had the Lord say to me, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. That, that one kind of puts you in your place. Okay. <laughs> so I wouldn't understand. He's wanting us to think spiritually, to think everlasting. And when we discover a spiritual truth that the Lord has taken us through, it has a more profound, a deeper impact upon us. When you realize God is bothering to work in your life, and he's wanting to work spiritual, everlasting things in your life. When people are rude to us, and God whispers to us, Turn the other cheek. Mm. <laughs> Don't want to turn the other cheek. I want to defend myself. <laughs> but this woman at the well, she replies to Jesus, Give me living water so I will not thirst, and where I won't have to come here to draw water. Give me this living water. Jesus has just offered her, without her realizing it, a solution to the thirst of her life, of thirst of her soul. Jesus is offering her spiritual satisfaction, everlasting life. But the woman, she continues to think what we would say car carnally, and she thinks only about the moment, having to draw water. When Jesus stops her right in her tracks, he stops her right where she's at, right in the middle of her selfish thinking, and listen to what Jesus said to her. And that's in John 16 through 19. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And Jesus <clears throat> has this woman considering spiritual issues now. He's having her think about what he asked her. She must now reconcile her sinful lifestyle. Go call your husband and come here. The woman is busted. 
She replies, I have no husband. Then Jesus reveals his deity to her. And he tells her that's correct. You've had five husbands. And the man you live with now, you're not even married to him. So you answer truly. And now we have the woman and her eyes begin to open. And she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The whole conversation between Jesus and this woman changes when Jesus puts his finger on her sin. We too can have that moment of realization when Jesus puts his finger by his Holy Spirit on our sin. We can think, well, I'm not such a bad person. You know, I don't steal, I don't beat my kids, I don't kick the dog, and so forth and so on, until the Holy Spirit confronts us upon our sin. This woman, she's such an example because she is sort of being catty with Jesus. She's playing verbal gymnastics with the Lord until her sin is revealed. And then she blurts out, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she has a question for Jesus. And that's in 20, uh, verse 20 through 26. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jew. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And you can almost see her draw, her jaw drop. This woman has asked Jesus a question. Where are we to worship? We Samaritans say on this mountain. You Jews say at the temple in Jerusalem is a place you ought to worship. And when Jesus has a word to her that fits us, and he says, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when where you worship is not the issue. Not here, not in Jerusalem. In verse 22, Jesus tells her, Salvation is of the Jew, so worship in a knowledge of where salvation comes from. Worship as the Jews should worship. 
And Jesus tells her again, the hour is coming and now is when worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For this is what the Father is seeking. That happens to be perhaps the greatest call on your life and my life. Worship God in spirit and in truth. Now there's so many denominations, there's so many churches within denomination that put a little different spin on worship. But we're to worship and it's to be spiritual. And it doesn't matter where or how beautiful your church building is. That is not what is important. Be concerned with bringing to God the Father through his Son a heart of truth. Be honest. Be real when you approach God. His word tells us, be concerned about obedience to him. That is how we show love to the God the Father and to Jesus is being obedient to his word. We're not free to worship God willy-nilly. He wants worship to be spiritual. He wants it to be truthful. He wants it to be honest from our heart. The New Testament, it reveals Jesus to us, who is just like God the Father. So in our worship, we should approach God without pretense. Have you ever heard someone pray, and they pray in this way, and I'm not trying to judge their prayers, but they're praying like to, Oh, most glorious, merciful God, we come before you now. Hey, whoa, 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 back up. Talk to him real. <laughs> you know, talk to God real. If you're hurting, tell him you're hurting. If you have questions, ask your questions. But come before God in truth. We're to approach God without pretense in our heart. God is not impressed with our methods of worship. But bring him a heart of truth. Be honest before him. This woman replies, when Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. This woman has just heard Jesus reveal her sinful behavior to her. What's her reply? Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Now Jesus answers her great concern. I who speak to you, I am Messiah. And I think that absolutely astonishes her. The long-awaited Messiah is conversing with her and telling her, a sinful woman, how to worship wanting her to believe. But that message remains Jesus' message to the church today. Worship him in spirit and in truth. 
give him a heart that is true and honest and open before him. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for being so patient with us, so long-suffering with us. And Lord, allow us to be real when we come before you in our worship, in our singing of songs, in our prayers, in our study of your word. Lord, don't let us be hypocrites. Let us be honest. May we express our needs and our love of you with open heart, Lord. And here this morning, Lord, we want our worship to be spiritual. We want it to be truthful. And we want it to come from the very depths of our being. So, Lord, we ask you to receive our worship. You who all worship is due unto, Lord, receive our worship. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us. Wash us, Lord. Make us a people who approach you with a heart of open, true worship. We ask for that, Lord, for we want desperately to be obedient to you. We want to acknowledge you in all that we do, and we want to worship you from the depths of our being. So help us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh and anew. Lead us, guide us into true worship, Lord, that we may be pleasing to you. For you told us that you desire pure and true and spiritual worship. And may we give you that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.